now. Three, two, one, go! What's up, everybody? This is episode 102 of Cooldown Time. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the gameplay demonstration of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Plus. We're celebrating April Fool's Day by revealing the terrible games that fooled us the most. And we're also giving our tearful eulogies for E3. Poor one for the homie there. So sad. Mm. Let, let's go ahead and introduce our two-man panel for the show. I am the technical mess of the show, Pablo, and joining we, me with me, and joining me with me, <laughs> and me with me with me. Here we go. Is the, <laughs> is the graphically impressive Marco. Listen, I can't be no technical mess and I have some kind of mess going into all this. Marco, what's up, my friend? How you been? How's it going? How's it hanging? I want the answers to all of those in detail. Go. I got one word for all that. I'm offended. I'm offended, okay. Pablo, because on two, on two levels. First of all, you got your part of the introduction right. Then you fucked mm-hmm. up mine, all right? So now, yeah. now you're showing bias towards yourself, which I don't mm-hmm. like. And then secondly, last night we were playing Rainbow Six Siege. This man was singing a song right. about my kidney stones, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Yeah. And I haven't gotten over it since. I forgot the lyrics. I'm trying to repress them, but they were rude, inconsiderate, yep. and wrong, okay? I've been reeling. And maybe platinum and maybe platinum selling record kind of level of musicality that that, that that came out of me. I guess it's something about you being in pain that really inspires me to be artistic. That's fine. And I'm doing great. Thanks for asking uh, after saying I such asked, hurtful things. I, I definitely ask you how I was hanging, which is, you know, you know, me. It's my way of like checking up on you, making sure your balls are okay and wow. your your urinary tract is 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 on point there mm. uh, after you peeing out uh, rocks. All right, from your dick. <laughs> See what I'm saying, Yo, everybody? This is why. Hey, but come on, Marco. How how weird are humans that we can develop like rocks and then piss them out of our fucking penises? I don't know. I'm talking to my That's my uh, primary care physician about this this situation uh, sooner than later. But no, in all seriousness, doing okay. Uh, had that going on, but I powered through it. Uh, my daughter got a little sick mm-hmm. for a couple days too, so there was this little one two punch of 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 illnesses and issues, man. But. Yeah. Uh, Got some time to uh, spend more time on the couch and relax a little bit more and played some games, uh, obviously, with you and some other stuff as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing all right, other than you being uh, horribly offensive and atrocious to me for now the third episode. It's like the trilogy of you offending me on, on air. We're just letting it all hang out. Uh, if you stop, it, if you don't stop talking about letting shit hang, I'm going to... Uh, can you mute yourself, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, Marco... Why don't you tell everybody here that we've uh, that we've probably offended in some way or the other uh, how they can find us, where they can find us, and why they should find us? Well, I'll be in an urgent care uh, once this is over, yep. uh, mostly for emotional trauma. But you can find us as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even our official website at cooldowntime.com. And if you're feeling extra cool, follow us on uh, IG, Twitter, and Hive at It's Cooldown Time to keep us in your FOV in between episodes uh but pablo let's go ahead and get this show started man yep let's start the way we always start and that's with loadouts all systems nominal loadouts ready mark what is a slow i uh, guess week for new games uh i have a new game 
you have several games that we've been playing throughout. Why don't I just go ahead and kick it off to you and go ahead and tell us exactly what is in your loadouts. Yeah, man. So uh, I am uh, making some pretty good headway on Resident Evil 4. Um, that game is continuing to uh, floor me with its quality. You know, any, mm-hmm. any and all concerns I had about, you know, the control scheme and some of the performance-related issues, I mean, that game's quality overshadows that so much the further you get into the game that it's almost a non-factor after a while. Uh, and I think that's kind of the the threshold that I've crossed after playing more of it. Um, I'm about halfway through the game. I did restart my my, uh, my playthrough from the beginning after a while because I realized I was spending my money on like upgrading six different weapons, and I'm like, I really only need three, so I shouldn't yeah. be blowing my money on this kind of stuff. So I started over. That's why I'm not as far along as I would probably have been uh, by this point. But... Um, it's such a good game, dude. I mean, it, what I love about this game is that there's so much diversity with how you can um, handle encounters with the enemies and also the way that they've revitalized the uh, boss fights from the original game. Uh, I know you and you and me have both uh, encountered some of the earlier bosses already, and I think it's safe to say that they've improved them in every way. Or if, mm-hmm. if not improved them, they, they brought them up to... Uh, the level of bombast that I think modern gaming calls for now, which is really, really good. Um, but it's one of those games where, dude, it's like, I can already see how I want to play this game the next time around. And yeah. I don't normally have that like second playthrough mentality this early into playing a Resident Evil game, even the remakes, which I love and I've played multiple times. But now I'm like, I'm already planning my next, okay, next time around, I'm going to upgrade that weapon instead because I heard that handgun is more powerful, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's really cool to have that much variety that you can play around yeah. with, um, which really does help with you know these, these different encounters. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying it. I love the pace of the game as well. Um, the, the exploration feels just right. It's the right kind of linear where you're, you kind of know where you're going, but it's a little just open-ended enough. It's semi-open to the point where you feel no, like I, you have some kind of agency about what you want to do and when. Um, I actually think that the the map of the game in the remake actually feels very uh, from software where it's like it's all connected uh, yeah. and yeah. Th- before you know a lot of loading screens going between sections now it's you can enter a different dock and then make your way to the to the to the objective in a whole different way yep. you, like yep. backpedaling and traversing they they did a really good job with that that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I love the way that that feels it's the right kind of open mixed with the right kind of linear as well it's a nice little balance um, yeah I mean it listen I I love the RE2 and RE3 remakes to pieces. I've said that many times throughout the show's history, but this game is coming for their necks and it's yeah. it's not it's not holding back at all. I mean, I've had fist pumping moments already. Uh, we talked about it off air. I don't want to get into too many specifics. I know, I know Resident right. Evil 4 is old and people know a lot of those encounters are, but they, yeah, but they remixed it a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I don't want to go too in depth with it, but like it's just it's just blowing me out of the water, man. It really is. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so impressed with the amount of effort they put into this remake because this is a very tricky game. Like I said before, this is a beloved game, man. This yeah. Resident Evil 4 is the pinnacle for a lot of people. And I, I think they did this game justice for sure. Yeah. I, 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 <clears throat> I'm sorry. I played a little more. Obviously, played a lot more. Uh, a lot of the complaints I had last week, I think a lot of those are pretty much gone. 
uh, in that, you know, feeling a little bit stiff in the movement. And, and that stuff is has kind of melted away. And the more I've gotten used to the movement and all that, maybe maybe it is still an issue, but I'm just not feeling it. So that's a good thing. Good games are good games. So, you know, the, certain things will start melting away in terms of complaints when the other good things uh, are just are consistently good. Um, I will say that maybe it's not quite there for me in terms of it being better than RE2. I think RE2's sense of place, that police station, super iconic, that kind of stuff is still kind of in the forefront of my mind when I think about Resident Evil. I do think that this is a really cool location. Everything about this place is really awesome. It's just for me right now, I think that I, where I am in terms of the uh, of, of the best remakes that they've made for the Resident Evil, I think it's two and then four probably, then three following close behind it. But hey, that's a big come up because Last week, I wasn't sure if it was even better than three. And for me, it, it definitely is. I'm really enjoying it. Story moments are really dope. Uh, and just, you know, I, I, I'm loving the game. I love the, the sensibilities, the, 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 the silliness mixed with the mm-hmm. dead serious gameplay and moments. Yeah, it, it, Resident Evil 4 is... It's going to be talked about a lot here on the show yeah, come in a year talks no for sure, yeah. Yeah, and what yeah. I love about these remakes, before we move on, is I think each of them brings something different to the table. I think RE2 yeah. is that traditional, we're going to put you in one location, being the police station, kind of like the mansion from, from the first game. We're going to put you there, yeah. and that's where, you're going to, <clears throat> that's where you're going to do your thing. And this is, um, you know, going from that to RE3, which is like very much action movie kind of a thing. It's very brisk, fast-paced. It's very, you know... It doesn't pull any punches. It just kind of goes, which I like right. as, as, a, as a variety, you know. And then this game just kind of blends the two in this really, you know, awesome way and then opens up things a little bit more. Not by a lot to the point where it's like trying to be a conventional open world thing, but just enough to feel like, wow, this is actually a bigger game than I thought it was. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm loving this trifecta of the remakes, man. I, I, can't, I can't stress it enough. These remakes are, are truly incredible as a trio. Um, but yeah, that's been a big one for me. And also, so is Rainbow Six Siege. I'm sorry. I know we talked oh, about it last before, week. Before we get to Rainbow Six Siege, I want to ask you a, a, a question about Resident Evil real quick. Do you think that Resident Evil, a new Resident Evil game, can still be good if it's an open world game? Like, can they make Resident Evil 9 and it be in the tradition of 3, 2, 3, and 4, but be open world? Because one of the things that I was thinking about, Warren Spector a long time ago, you know, the guy who made uh, all those great uh, RPGs back in the day, Deus, uh, Deus Ex being one of them, he has a, he's had an idea for years to make an open world game that is like an apartment complex. One apartment complex where every single door, every single thing can be open and explored. I wonder an open world, like a smaller open world in a Resident Evil game, could really like it, it could really shine in that way. Do you think that, that that's something that's possible, or do you think that you know RE4 would probably be the limits of that? Well, first of all, I want to say screw you for ruining my amazing segue into Rainbow Six Siege. I know, I know, uh, I that know. was just that was just terrible. It was diabolical. Uh, second of all, um. I don't think it's doable, to be honest with you. And I think the reason why it's not doable is because with an open world, uh, you, you have a lot of different variables to consider from that point on. Um, and, and at what point do you start becoming too conventional with yeah. what else is going on in the genre? Like, I, I would hate it if, and I like Far Cry, but I would hate it if there was like a Resident Evil version of that, where there's just clusters of you know, zombies kind of roaming around an open world. Um, I think what makes Resident Evil so special is that it takes that threat and it gives it to you in a condensed space. 
You know, like yeah. when you think about four, when you're trapped in the house and you got to, you know, batten, you know, uh, you know, cover the doors and put planks on the windows and stuff that that intensity is is ramping up because you're in this claustrophobic space because you're down a corridor in a mansion or you know a weird room in a police station like that's what makes this game uh the the franchise resident evil so so awesome i think if you open it up too much it kind of loses that intensity it reminds me of mgs5 right because with mgs5 it was like it was a pace killer for me personally it's like okay i gotta stop i gotta use my binoculars i gotta spot the enemies and then i gotta fit you know and i don't even know what's in that general vicinity like if there was a resident evil equivalent of that i i don't know maybe that's some people's dream but it's not mine i think that would just be a little too detached from the yeah i agree but i wonder but i do wonder i will say i do wonder if like that warren specter idea of like one apartment building like being the whole game and all of the doors possible in that building being able to be open and explored. I wonder if that would, could lend itself to it. But yeah, mm. you're right. I think a traditional open world game would, would really work well. All right. Sorry, Marco. Let's go back to your other game here that you did a beautiful uh, little... Uh, uh, Rude, inconsiderate. Yeah. Mm. Well, you Uncouth. know, I wanted to make you work for it. Un- can you can you get us back there? Can you get us back there? All right. <laughs> can you do it? All right. Aneurysm time. Here we um, go. Rainbow Six Siege, ladies and gentlemen. So I, I put it on yeah. this list because if, if you listened to last week's episode, Pablo um, revealed that Rainbow Six boom, Siege boom. cracked his top 10 games of all time. He did that. So I decided, you I know what? That. I've been playing a lot of it still. I'm still jumping out with Pablo, usually on a nightly basis or give or take. Let me evaluate it. Let me see where this lands on my like all-time list. And I will say this, my, my top 10, I think, is pretty much locked in. I would even say my top 15 is kind of locked in. I don't think there's a lot of games that can come out, with rare exception, that can really penetrate that list and get in nice and deep, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Rainbow Six Siege sits on the outskirts of that. It's at number 17 for me, which I think is a respectable... It is the first... It is ranked as number one as far as like the... Uh, like multiplayer game there's no other game ahead of it that is a multiplayer game that's up for it so it is the best i think for me pound for pound of all the ones i played so your first 16 games are all single player experiences with no multiplayer Uh, well the last of us factions well yeah there's co-op and there's multiplayer components with some of these but yeah yeah it's it's probably like as far as like a straight up multiplayer game yeah siege is number one yeah siege would be the first one titanfall 2 follows that but titanfall 2 is more so because of how great the campaign was as well yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm factoring all that in the equation. Then Overwatch uh, is, is third. SOCOM 2 is fourth. And then Battlefield Bad Company 2 is uh, is fifth. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it just speaks to the, the legs that this series has had and how consistently good it's been. But yeah, I just wanted to throw it back into the conversation just to say where I have it sitting in, in, in my list. What are you typing? What are you, what are you doing over there? You'll see. You better not be answering no damn work emails, okay? No regards, no, 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 no per my last email, nothing. All right? <laughs> I need you to lock it in. What's going on with you? Nothing to talk, man. I'm, 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 I'm having notes for the show, oh, bro. Okay. Yeah, see, I got, he, got that, he got that face right now where I don't know, what's, I don't know what, what I'm in for in the next, uh, the next block, so to speak. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Nothing Anyways. Like that. Yeah, so Siege is great. Uh, it stays great. Uh, it will always be great, and so it has reached number seventeen on my list of greatness. Um, Hell yeah! But yeah. Uh, but that's gonna do it for me, man. Uh, you're gonna have to uh, jump in and talk to me about uh, the most exciting sport known to man, 
Man, wow, woman, I feel and like you're child. Sarcastic. I'm gonna give you a bad segue now. Bad, the worst sport of all time, the sleepiest sport ever created, Major League that Baseball. Is that, that's so. That's such bullshit, Brett, bro. <laughs> MLB is the best sport. Of, uh, baseball is the best sport of all time. Um, it is number, my number one sport, Ooh. followed by the NFL and then basketball. Basketball sleepy as hell. Watching wow. all these guys run back and forth. I like playing it. I hate watching it. Uh, but anyway, uh, MLB The Show 23 uh, just released on Game Pass. And uh, I've been playing it. I will say that this is probably going to be one of those years where I don't really get too much into it. But I did want to talk about the Negro League storyline that MLB The Show has. Storyline is a new... Um it's a new mode that MLB The Show is, is, is kind of messing with or, or exploring, where basically, I hope in the future, they'll have storylines, like great baseball stories down the road where, you know, it'll maybe tell you the story of Babe Ruth or Joe DiMaggio or all these things down the road. But right now, the, the, the first one that they started off with was the history of the Negro Leagues. Uh, and it's like a documentary type thing. It breaks down the start of the of the Negro Leagues by letting you pick between Satchel Page uh, And I'm, I'll, I'll say everybody who's available, that way everybody knows. Satchel Page uh, Hilton Smith, Rube Foster, uh, Hank Thompson, Buck O'Neill, Jackie Robinson, John Donaldson, and Mark in Dehigo, uh, and basically, um, it acts like each of those act like an episode of a documentary with archive footage, historical background, and then you get to play those pivotal moments as those as, as those uh, players. That's dope. Uh, I think the yeah, I think the presentation is absolutely amazing. I think that the the uh, the 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 archive footage is great because you know a lot of this stuff, specifically with with a guy like Satchel Page, is stuff that you really really didn't see much of. And this guy was rumored to have a hundred and five mile per hour fastball. He had six different pitches, which where he named them all different things. Like this guy was a character, and kind of seeing that play out on on screen, and then you being able to play it and having a authentic uh, uniforms and, and, and actually the captured in the way the uh, Satchel Page pitches and, and all the other players uh, bad and also pitch. I think they do an outstanding job. Um, I, I think it's great. I really do think it's like one of those really cool moments where you, you sit there and you, you learn, but you also get to play here uh, in terms of, of, of getting to know the mechanics. My only kind of complaint about it is I wish that they did a little bit more with the presentation. They still had like current uh, all, all commentators talking about him, talking not talking through the game, but kind of talking about the commentators. But I wish they had something more like if they were in the 1930s or 40s, something a little bit more akin to the way they would have spoken to mm. through the radio or something like that, that to cool. kind of yeah. give that. Yeah, to give that more authentic yeah. feel. And maybe some more screen filters. There, there wasn't none of screen filters where the game feels um, like you're watching and are playing archive footage. It just looks like you're playing a game of the show with old uniforms on. That kind of stuff, I wish that they went in a little bit more. Okay. But, yeah, man, I, I, I really like this quite a bit. You know, um, kind of reminds me of the WW2K um, uh, showcase stuff where they go in between archive footage and real-life footage. So this kind of stuff is cool. I hope that it'll be the show you know, continues to do this. Uh, I think it's a really uh, cool mode there. I will say I played a little bit of franchise mode, a little bit of my, of the, my character, uh, story mode, uh, uh, wrote to the show. Uh, you know, it's more of the same, which is unfortunate. You know, I, I, I think that 
a lot of these sports games like to reiterate very in small ways with introduction of storylines and then leaving everything else pretty much exactly the same. So if you're interested in MLB The Show, pretty much is what last year's experience is, except with this new cool mode. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, check it out. If you're on Game Pass, you have Game Pass, and you even have a slight... Um, kind of interest in baseball or just like to learn things specifically, specifically things about like you know the Negro League and stuff like that I would definitely take a look at this and play the storyline mode I think it's absolutely worth it alright yeah it's cool to do in representation like that it's always it's always appreciated uh, yeah and, and, much, and, and, and well, MLB is such a white fucking sport man like oh, yeah. you know Babe Ruth is still they treated as like the best player of all time when he played against substitute teachers and garbage men like it's just one of those things where it's, it's cool to see all the right. representation there i'm not gonna get you sure. on a tangent because you'll go on one in a heartbeat but substitute teachers and garbage men no 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 what? no no it ain't like, but it ain't like no like right now but right now all your sports players like nba mlb nfl yes. everybody's playing with people who are professional sports people like nobody's out here like oh it's nfl season i need some time off from cleaning toilets from this high school because i need to go throw the ball around oh, like these guys do this almighty all year <laughs> anyway oh my god all right it's true though that is 100 percent true People weren't playing professional sports as a full-time job back when Babe Ruth was hitting the the ball. And also, a uh, little tidbit here. Oh my here. God! Not the tidbits. They weren't. No play. They had no black people playing uh, baseball. How could Babe Ruth be pl- the best baseball player of all time if he wasn't playing with half of the goddamn population? <laughs> No Latinos either. Anyway, Pablo. let's go ahead and move on to the next section of our show uh, that we like to call hit points. All right. Hit points is here. This is a new segment of the show. We got a couple of things to talk about. Marco, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start off here, if that's okay with you. Yeah, um, let's do it. For those of you who know, and most of you who listen to the show, they have to know a little something called Zelda, you know, the Legend of Zelda video games. The brand new, the, the newest game in the series, Tears of the Kingdom, just got a 10-minute gameplay demonstration to show off its new crafting mechanics, combat, and open world. So let's tackle this, like, on two fronts. Like, first, let, let's let's go ahead and talk about what we think about the gameplay, and then we'll go on to see uh, what we think about uh, reactions from Zelda fans. Um, Marco, uh, I'm going to kick it off to you. I'm the, I'm the huge Zelda fan yeah. here, but I'm really interested to see exactly what you have to say uh, about everything you saw. Pablo, this is going to be an interesting conversation with me and you because I, th- I, yeah. I think, and I'm not accusing you of not being grounded about Zelda, but I am going to say that I think, um, I think I'm, I'm going to be a bit more granular than you might expect here because I, I, I have an a, admiration for Zelda, but I don't have enough of it to, to not call out what's, what's, what I'm, what I'm noticing, good, bad, or ugly, right? And I, and, yeah. I, and I think to that point, when I look at the gameplay holistically, I do see a little bit of good, bad, and ugly um, that has me excited on one hand, concerned in another, and kind of put off in, in some ways too. Um, I, I think w- without, I don't want to risk sounding like this is like a Twitter troll post, but the game looks enjoyable, but I'm not feeling the six year development time. Uh, to me, I just don't, I, I don't get that sense. I think that there's, there is a familiarity here, which is a tricky word for certain Zelda fans, which we'll get into when we talk about the community's reaction 
maybe even yours, where I feel like the familiarity being called out is kind of being taken the wrong way by a lot of Zelda fans in a, in a, in a sense of, yes, we know it's a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild, so there's going to be some similarities. Yes, we know that uh, Zelda games are not necessarily always supposed to be groundbreaking every go-around, but I do feel like there is a lack of uniqueness. Uh, or, or I wouldn't say a lack. I would say there's not enough uniqueness that we saw. And there could be more that we don't know, but from what we saw, I don't feel like there was enough uniqueness being shown. To me, the theme for me, Pablo, is this feels like a, a game filled with needlessly endless possibilities. And, and, and I'm saying that in a very loaded way because I feel like there's a lot of things that this game is throwing at us through the new, the new mechanics, particularly with the crafting systems, that um, I just feel is... It's, it's, it's like it's an overly elaborate way to... Here, okay, let me, let me put it to you this way. I feel like these systems are only existing because of needlessly artificial inconveniences, right? So let's, let's, let's walk through it real quick. Weapon crafting. To me, it feels like an over, overly elaborate way for a challenge that doesn't actually exist. The enemies in that game are not difficult. <laughs> so, I mean, even in the demonstration, Anumok, like, casually walked right by enemies. One enemy didn't even seem particularly aggressive. And the enemies only take about four or five hits in general to kill. So showing off these new, like, fusion moves, and you can make this out of this and that, and you can put a mushroom on your shield, and it can create a smokescreen. I feel like it's an elaborate list of things you can do to just kill an enemy with four or five hits like it just doesn't feel necessary unless they're going for a difficulty spike that i'm not aware of or i'm not seeing in this video maybe their fault was that they showed basic enemies but i i just i think i think it's a lot of fluff to to kill enemies that don't take a lot of you know, effort to kill anyway right so that feels a little bit pointless to me in, in a sense it's cool but it's pointless there's also really no incentive to engage in combat you still don't get any xp from it you 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 stand to lose more than you gain if you're you know breaking weapons and using items to you know do all these abilities uh only collecting the occasional rupee or something out of those out of those skirmishes so i don't i don't feel a lot of incentive to actually look for combat uh, and then when you get into the crafting system, I feel like it only exists because of the game's artificial inconveniences. And it gets a little silly to me in some ways. Like, okay, nowhere in this world does a fully built boat exist. But guess what? Disassembled, disassembled boat parts do. They just happen to be conveniently laid up right next to a body of water. Here's a disassembled sail. Here's three perfectly cut pieces of wood. So it's just like, do it's this DIY formula to do something that really doesn't add any value. I mean, why not just give us a boat? It feels like it's just kind of going out of its way to make simple things difficult and laborious. Like, okay, if you want to go up to the, to the island, uh, the Sky Islands, you've got to wait for a rock to fall somewhere off in the distance. You've got to run over to it. You've got to climb the mountain that it fell on. In the demonstration, they had to cut all that out because it was taking too long, <laughs> you know? So you're going to have to run over there, climb that, hit that rewind thing, go all the way up there, and now you're at the top. It, it just feels like, I mean, do you really want to spend five minutes building a boat? Do you really want to spend five minutes running over to a rock? You know, so it, it just feels like there's a little bit of like weird, arbitrary hamstringing that this game is doing. It's like the, it's almost like what I hate about Death Stranding. 
it's like the equivalent of me giving you a size five shoe, Pablo, and telling you to go do your thing for, throughout the day. And I'll reward you with a uh, five and a half once you're done. It's like, it's just making things harder for the sake of giving you that little bit of relief of like, well, we don't have a boat, but we have the parts. You know, it, I just don't like that. I think that that's going to be a real challenge for this game when it comes to the core gameplay loop to stay interesting. Like to stay, it, it, do I feel like doing that all game long? How often am I going to have to do that to be able to get through the game? You know, like that's what I'm worried about. I don't want to craft all the all damn game long. I don't like a lot of that. So I'm worried that it's going to be an overabundance of that when I don't feel like creating vehicles. I don't. And I, I know I'm not the only one. So I'm a little worried about that. Now, what I'll say real quick before I pass it over to you, the game still looks like it's a fun time. It looks like it's got a lot of polish. I'm glad that it's complete in its development. Um, and I'm sure they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve that we didn't see. So I'm not saying it's all gloom and doom. I'm just saying that this crafting thing is going to be a real, real test because it looks cool in a 10-minute demonstration. How much fun is it going to be playing, it, playing that and doing that for three, four hours at a playthrough? You know, like I'm worried about that. But that's my opening salvo, but I want to kick it over to you and get your thoughts. Yeah, I, mean, I, I get a lot of what you're saying, but I, I also have to kind of point out that the game itself might not be what you want or what you like but what it is it's a sandbox uh, uh, of a game and a lot of what breath of the wild was in terms of this specialness of it are was very optional things i i don't think that they're ever going to force you to other than probably some kind of um like showing you how to do the thing. I don't think you'll ever be have to craft anything in order to beat the game. I think you'll be able to get through the game as easily and as simple as you want it to be. But you know, for a person who who, who really enjoyed kind of the sandbox portion of of Breath of the Wild, which I'm not really a sandbox guy, but I really did enjoy exploration throughout that game. I think a lot of what this does, like the fusibility, the ultra hand, the recall, the ascend, all that stuff, just really lends itself to. Uh, traversal and new ways of getting to places that maybe you were unable to get to in a more, uh, to get to in a more simple way. So I, I think that all of what you're saying, I get it, but I, I think when the game comes out, it's going to be mostly just either you're going to, you're either going to engage in this stuff or you're not. Um, I, I will say that for me, I, I thought, all of it looked really cool. I agree with the weapons in terms of the, 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 the fusing ability making. I just think that that stuff is just what you want. Play the game you want, how you want, whether or not it's four or five kills. They're not going for a difficulty spike, that's for sure. But if you have four or five kills to kill one, uh, swings to kill an enemy, use the weapon you want, any kind of form of weapon you want to do. It's all about kind of the openness of that. I I, I don't, I find it just a little bit kind of, um, and not what you've said, because I think you, you, you have some points that you're definitely making there, but I think a lot of the complaints that I've seen that are kind of close to that really kind of miss the point in terms of what this game is um you know i you might want a more traditional zelda game and this game is that you can probably play this game as a more traditional zelda game just like you did breath of the wild you know but they what they're showing off here is they're leaning into the stuff that people liked about breath of the wild which is all the physics-based stuff and in terms of like feeling the the the, the five-year six-year development cycle you know when it comes to physics and, and, and all this stuff that stuff always takes a lot longer time than, than, than other things in the game itself so i i i personally saw this and thought definitely more of the same sure but i mean look any game that promises me to be more like breath of the wild 
all I'm gonna say is like you promise because I love Breath of the Wild to pieces and if Tears of the Kingdom is just more Breath of the Wild with a better story with new locations I'm gonna be I'm gonna be okay with that I honestly am I I'm not I'm not expecting a a complete changeover in terms of how I play or how, or how I look at uh Zelda I think Breath of the Wild was revolutionary in its approach to Zelda and I think that its sequel is just going to carry that torch and just and, and carry it a little further along it's not trying to be the next uh game entry that's going to change the way you look at Zelda. I think that, you know, they're going to have their challenges here when it comes to, to future titles, sure. But I think I think Zelda gets unfairly put onto itself is that each next iteration of a game has to be some form of industry altering uh, thing. Like, See, you know, I like, don't know where uh, you get that from. Where, where, where does that come from? from? I mean... Well, from Breath of the Wild, first and foremost. I also get that from Ocarina of Time, which Ocarina of Time is one of the first open-world approach games the way you want to approach them. Uh, and, you know, when you look at uh, Wind Waker, and when you look at Traversal of Wind Waker, when you look at also uh, things from... <clears throat> uh, from Skyward Sword, those things didn't exist in games like they do now. Like th- th- those modes of tra- traversal, modes of uh, storytelling, uh, those things are are attributed to a lot of Zelda games. Now, I'm not saying that all Zelda games are industry changing, but in terms of how people have been sp- speaking about the sequel to Breath of the Wild, it's like it's more of the same. I don't, I, I personally don't understand that uh, as a as a form of a complaint, uh, honestly, because you know when you look at games like Resident Evil Two going to Resident Evil Three. Those games are pretty much identical in terms of how they play. Uh, sure, four is a little bit more advanced in terms of like just just with time and technology is advanced the the way you made those games. But I mean, I, I just don't understand the overall complaint that this is more of the same, uh, which is something that a lot of people have said, and, and it's not something you said well, at all. I, I'm, I'm going to th- defend that to a degree, though. I mean, so let's 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 have that discussion then. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I think that the this feeling that that everyone wants a groundbreaking new Zelda I I think that maybe it's the wrong word I think maybe people just want a unique Zelda every time around and maybe subjectively this game feels unique enough compared to Breath of the Wild but that's unfair to put on Zelda like at any sequel to a game of course yeah but I I I think I think where I get a little like annoyed with certain Zelda fans is that they get very defensive about that and they jump to the extreme. Well, not every Zelda can be groundbreaking. I think people aren't necessarily always asking for groundbreaking Zeldas. I think we're asking for a unique Zelda. So when we see the, a 10 minute gameplay demonstration and within the first 30 seconds, you're showing us an area of Hyrule that looks virtually identical to the last game, the same music playing from the last game. And with two exceptions, the same HUD as the last game, I'm sorry, but familiar is a, is probably an okay thing to say at that but point. But why? Okay, but why is that not when, uh, like I said, Resident Evil Two comes out or Three comes out, and it's pretty much identical in terms of just how you go through all the inventory, everything. Yeah, but else. it's not the same. And it's places, still kind of though. the same even now. It's not the same place every game, though. It's a different. It's a different location. So you've they, they've I mean, made well, they made a design say- decision, Pablo, to stay in the same open world, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, if if that's what people Yakuza are upset one, about, where two, they want a three, totally four, different Hyrule, five, six. If they want a totally yeah, but not every game takes place in Raccoon City though. So like, I, I think the comparison Yakuza? is weird to make it with Resident Evil anyway. But what I'm saying is Hyrule is Hyrule, and that's fine. It can stay the same. Yeah. But what are you doing within that Hyrule to make it look different? And all that they showed was it's Hyrule, but they took out the shrines and they took out those towers and they replaced them with these smaller little volca- volcano-looking places with swirls going around them and different towers. So I think and on the surface, sky, in a whole sky city, 
Well, and that's the other thing is they really haven't contextualized what those are even up there for. And I'm sure there's a yeah, reason. But my I thing know is- there's a reason. But again, 10 minutes of the, of the first time we've seen this game's gameplay and they focused all on mechanics and they didn't really explain, OK, what makes what makes this 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 world different than the last one? Because there's build there's there's islands up top. Like why? What is that for? What what purpose does it serve? So okay, see that that's that's the stuff that I'm talking about. It's like okay, so now they show a whole different section, and now we want purpose behind it. Like I, I think we should wait for the game to come out before we make any different statements. To. We have to. It's, and, a, it's, it's yeah, ten minutes. But but my thing, but my thing for for me, and when I bring up these other games, it's because I I don't know a lot of games that come out with sequels and suddenly we're we're being critical of them because they're not unique in compared to the other games like when, when you look at and I, that's the reason i bring resident evil because resident evil is a huge franchise super popular franchise as as popular as zelda and and its sequels are derivative of each other yakuza one two three four five six all take place in the same city to the point where we know those those maps in the back of our hands mm-hmm. you, you got you got a lot of the, those games that, that that just are derivative from each other and that's not a bad thing i, I think you know at Hyrule, and Anuma did say there's going to be a lot of differences, too many to explain. Uh, I think knowing that game and knowing that map, I think there's going to be a lot, there's going to be uh, plenty of differences there where we see what's going on. And also at the beginning, in the very early on, they also said that there's going to be underground sections. So, you know, th- there's a lot that they haven't shown to the game itself. Um, but I-, I will always give pushback to anybody who says that. <clears throat> you know, a Z equal to Zelda should in a way be completely different or should be unique because that's not something that we kind of put on other games, including games in, in Nintendo, like Mario 3D games that might take place in different places, but they are pretty much the same in terms of of how they're made and how they play and the mechanics and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and be like, yeah, I guess it should be unique because I am in the camp that I've every great... Zelda game is a unique experience. You know, Majora's Mask is unique from Ocarina of Time, even though it's like the same graphical engine. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Wind Waker, all that stuff, they're different. But that's the way they've chosen to make those games. Now they've chosen to make a direct sequel, which is the first time they ever do this. Uh, and I just find, I give pushback on the sense that the game should be unique. I think the game should be whatever it is that they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ultimately we'll see exactly how different it is from its predecessor. Well, but again, I, I think I think that they've, I, at least for me, I think they've gotten the, the benefit of the doubt that if they're willing to give me this game in the same map, that there's going to be enough differences, including the underground and the cities and the skies, that are going to be different enough to me to be like, okay, this is a new experience. Like, I will say unique maybe, but new for sure. New experience for sure. We should get that. I shouldn't feel like I'm playing the same game again. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. But uh, new experience for sure, unique, not so much in terms of what, in what needs to be to make a successful Zelda game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know, where, where I'm coming from is, it, yes, we, should should Zelda get the benefit of the doubt? Absolutely. Is there stuff we haven't seen that's probably going to show enough diversity to make it feel unique? Probably. But I, I'm locking into these ten minutes. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm in this specific ten minute window. And so when I hear people say, based on these 10 minutes that I saw, it feels samey, I don't, I don't necessarily roll my eyes at that. I go, okay, I can kind of see how 
in this 10 minute demonstration that kind of felt a little too familiar if it goes beyond that and it blows into something way bigger and better that's great and that's what and that's what i hope for but 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 there's no context in that game that mm -hmm. demonstration because they focus so specifically on mechanics yeah but i also don't agree with that because you look at the fusibility, which is a brand new ability. You look at the ultra hand, which is all new ability. Recalls a whole new ability. We haven't even talked about ascend that you can go through the roof of basically any any um, any mm-hmm. structure. And then obviously the things that you can mix a weapon to, like homing, homing missiles with the arrows, uh, adding a, a fungi to the shield that creates a spore cloud spore that you can escape. Like I understand that it looks the same, but I to say that it's more of the same. I, these are all these things that Anuma changed showed were not things that you were able to do in previous Zelda games, including going all the way up to the sky, jumping down for a minute. Like uh, the li- things like that are new experiences. Now I will say they definitely look very familiar, like graphically, you know, sure. But I, I, I say everything they showed is a new mechanic. So the whole thing that this looks like very similar, I, it's a, I give a little pushback. Just all because everything I saw uh, in terms of the gameplay aspect, it was new. Now the the mini map was about the same, with with the exception mm-hmm. of I think the, the the map is different because there's no Sheikah slate. There's a Z coordinate now for the elevation. Uh, you know how high you are, how low you are. So I, I get it, but at the same time, there's a lot of new there mixed with the old. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's usually what you want from a from a sequel. It's a game that is based on what we know and then adding things to it. That's usually how a sequel usually works. I, I, I understand the sense of Zelda. Every, pretty much every Zelda game has been a unique experience. So I get that kind of inclination to want that. But I think ultimately it's a little unfair to want a unique experience from a Zelda game. The developers are trying to give us a sequel to a game in which they, you know, I guess want to mm-hmm. want to work more in that in that world. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that's a good transition into like the reaction from from the the community, right? And let's yeah. take it off of each other now. Like, you think you made your point? I made mine. We'll agree to disagree. Um, I I will say I think that it's been a um, it's a tale of extremes with with the reaction that it I've always. seen. I've seen a lot of. I've seen a lot of like overly defensive Zelda fans that, you know, uh, you were able to break it down and kind of explain your, your, your rationale. But I think there's some people that just flat out don't want to hear that Zelda in any capacity can ever have questions looming, which I think is ridiculous because Zelda's not Absolutely. infallible. It's not, it's not a flawless not franchise. All. There's been ups and downs throughout the series, just like any other, right? So th- this, this, this series does bleed. And I think that there's a feeling that I get from the overly zealous Zelda community where it's like, how could you say that you like there's there's reasons for everything now, whether, you know, you're in the Pablo camp that you you can identify some concerns, but you still feel a level of confidence or whether you're someone like me who may be getting a, a little bit more skeptical post. 10 minute demonstration. I think that the extremes are really getting on my nerves because then the other side of the spectrum, Pablo, is like the people that are like. You know, uh, this uh, this looks mid as fuck. This, they're like the dismissive kinds of people that like are yeah. kind of the the people that are calling it DLC. Let me just be straightforward. Like I don't like those yeah, yeah, people yeah. at all. I, I hate when they did that for Ragnarok. I hate when they do that for games like this. Even if let's say, you know, we go with Pablo's theory that iteration like this is 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 the is the name of the game and it, it works for this game. Then great. I still don't think that justifies people coming in like hot with this like DLC take because it's 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 unfair. Because then it, like it, every sequel is D- DLC. Then yeah, I mean, so I I, I think it's a two it's a two pronged issue. It's it's 
overly defensive Zelda fans, and I think it's overly like, uh, like, like hateful. But here's the thing, though, Marco. I think that the overly zealous Zelda fans do more damage than the naysayers because naysayers are they're they're always out there. Yeah, there's always gonna they're be always a gonna talk that shit. Yeah, yeah. But the 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 person who is who is overtly defending Zelda without taking any of the criticism and understanding where that person's coming from and like going out of the way to be like to basically call people morons, idiots, or any kind of stupid. Right. Uh, name like that just because they don't agree with their opinion which is zelda's perfect which is not you know it's not perfect it's not the Um, game of the year yet also (laughs) it's absolutely not the game of the year i mean like the whole oh nintendo never misses kind of like what are you talking about they miss all the time and this game could come out and just be a total disaster or it could come out and have three clusters of, of islands in the sky and that's it you know it's like it's it, there's a lot still left to be really explored and looked upon here yeah uh, i'm really interested to see how this game uh how critics look at this game for sure yeah but i got a question for you one though. For, i got a question yeah um after these 10 minutes that we saw are you more hyped are you at the same level of hype or are you less hyped I'm the same level as 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 hype. Okay. I think all those cool new features are are dope, and they're and they are they're 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 helping exploration be a little bit more unique and different. Um, I, the truth is, I expected something along this in terms of newness, like. How do I explore? Is it going to be the same? It can't be. There has to be new things, you know? Um, gameplay, combat. Combat was always decent in, in that, that game. I want a little bit more, and they showed that. My biggest hurdle here, or my biggest concern, uh, and the thing that they're not talking about at all is the story. And the story, you know, people talk about Breath of the Wild and how, quote, unquote, perfect that game is. That game is not perfect. That game has a very, very, very basic as dry story that I did not enjoy in any way, shape or form. When you look at games like uh, when you look at games Ocarina of Time, Ocarina of Time, there's a whole damn tra- uh, time travel mechanic that takes you into the future as adult Link where you beat Ganon and Zelda brings you back to a kid. That way you can enjoy your your, your childhood because she stole your childhood. <laughs> there's so that. much thing there's so much stuff yeah. and, and and then this game was like uh 100 years and and ganon in the malice and please clean the castle is basically uh <laughs> what they the said and had these five other guys help you clean it please <laughs> um it, it's it's just for me it was just kind of so basic and 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 the ending was like oh this epic ending which i felt nothing for because i felt nothing Same. for that story to begin with Same. so i yeah. i i I want that. I, I want. I want the story to be absolutely amazing. It doesn't have to be like Xenoblade Chronicles Three because that that game, those games are just like all about story. I know this is gameplay centric, but I, I I want this story to to tie in some stuff. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it's closest to Ocarina and um and Skyward Sword in terms of its history. And I want. I want. I want some touch ups on that. I, I want. I want some connectivity. I want this game to cover a lot of the stuff that has been untold or unsaid in the Zelda games. I, if this game is going to be epic, let's be epic in every way, shape, or form. Right. Yeah, you know? I agree with that because it's like, okay, you, you took these 10 minutes, you showed us gameplay, right? And this is why I was talking about the Sky Island thing as an example. Like, why are they there? What's the, what's, what are they doing there? Like, what's the point? What's the objective of yeah. this game? What are we trying to do? Like, what's the object of the game? Literally. Like, and, and I don't think we got that. And so it's like, okay, well, if you're going to keep that a secret, if you're trying to keep that under the chest, then my thought is, is this a big deal? And if it's not a big deal, 
then I'm like, uh, later on, I'll be a little disappointed because to your point, like they have, there's room for growth narratively to say the yeah. absolute least. I would say that my level is probably a little below. I think I did kind of get knocked down to earth a little bit with when I saw some things that just felt a little too familiar for me. Um, and I am very, very concerned about how much time it is going to, how much time the crafting mechanics are going to uh, chew up when you play through this game. How often am I going to have to build a boat? How often am I going to have to build uh, the flying thing? You know, it, how, how integrated is it going to be? Are there shrines that are going to revolve around this stuff too? Am I going to get stuck having to solve puzzles? No. Like, I'm really worried I, about that, so. I think that would be a major mistake to make players consistently having to make vehicles like this. I, I just think they were showing that off because, again, like I said, Breath of the Wild had a long legs in terms of, of co- you know, people covering it, talking about it because of the physics stuff. I think they're just leaning into that. Um, but in terms of the islands, yeah, I agree. I, the reason I'm interested in, and I, and I, and I want to see this because those islands are definitely got to be the same islands from uh, uh, from uh, Skyward Sword. Oh, I was going to say, you I know, can't help you with this one. Because uh, <laughs> the whole game took place in the sky. Yeah, yeah. And there were sky islands, literally... See, that's what I, I want to so. know. Gotta be that's, what I, that's what would make but, it cool to but me. That, there, I think there's got to be some kind of... I, I, here's my theory, real quick on the story. Something ha- something is happening with the realms, and they're seeming to, they're seeming to come together mm. with Hyrule, possibly Low Rule, and the Sky Islands all seemingly t- starting to, to shift and come together. Um, I think that's what's happening, and I think that's what we're trying to stop. Hmm. Uh, and so that's why you're seeing these Sky Islands pop up. I bet you we're going to see more and more starting to pop up as the game progresses as well okay. to give you more. Uh, so I think that's what's going to happen there. But we'll, we'll see here uh, when the game comes out. I am really I, – I would say, to wrap this portion up, I would be very disappointed, very disappointed – if this game comes out and it's amazing in terms of how it plays, all the stuff, all the physics shit is amazing, and the story is still bone ass dry, like mm. they they had to have known they they know that this is a, the only takeaway from Breath of the Wild really was that the story was lame and breakable weapons. And those, they doubled the, down the on breakable weapons in, in place of those, and the lack uh, of dungeons. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is which I attribute to the story. Well, yeah, absolutely. Every dungeon, yeah, yeah it does it bleeds to the story. Hand. So I yeah. attribute to that. So I. I can't wait to see what they got up to sleeves when, when it comes to the story, and I hope that it, I hope that it delivers for sure, mm-hmm. Marco. So let's move on here. Yeah. Let's get into the second uh, bit of news we have here, and it's official. Yep, E three is dead. Dead again. The news broke shortly after Ubisoft, Sega, Tencent announced that they would not attend the event, just like Sony, Xbox, Nintendo did. Uh, so now that E three is gone. How do we feel about having digital showcase, uh, only having digital showcase, and Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest from now on? Marco, what? How, first of all, tell me how you feel. We're big E3 yeah. guys. You know, we we're we're in our late thirties. We we've seen we've seen quite a bit of them. We love it. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, man, this hurts a little bit, dude. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Um, because E3 is such a it's such a integral part of gaming history man this is where this is our super bowl this was our like wrestlemania oh yeah this was everything you know this is where you find out like what what kind of exciting stuff is going on and it in some ways and i think you know this point gets kind of beaten to death is that it was inevitable that e3 was going to lose its 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 impact and its luster because digital showcases had become Uh, viable and these companies all want the best chance of controlling their narrative with zero slip-ups. So when you have an on-stage presentation, 
We've seen it in the past. Like anything can go wrong. A demo can crash. Somebody can fumble over their lines. An awkward moment can happen. Uh, and that adds to the charm of E3, but it also kind of puts egg on the face of these companies. And I think they all want to avoid that from now on. And like I said, control their own narrative. So I get it from that standpoint. But I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. I, I always thought that there was still value out of, of, uh, out of E3s. I still think that it's an important um, opportunity to get more eyes on products. Um, you know, if, if all you have to do is fly over to California for a couple of days or wherever they have it and put your game on a TV for a little while and you get all this media buzz, I don't see why that can't be opportunistic for these companies. But obviously they have a different opinion. So, well, that's because Jeff Keighley has taken something like E3, has convinced the world that it doesn't need to exist, and then created E3. Is basically yeah. I'm about to get on him in a second. Done. I'm about to get on him pretty yeah. pretty big in a second. But you know, yeah. Let me tell you how I feel. I, I I agree with you. I feel the same exact way. I I think that this is a huge blow for me personally in terms of like how I look at video games. Like E3, I used to take time off. I don't care what the fuck you guys say. I used to take time off of work, and I used to sit there and watch these presentations. I've always watched them digitally. So the the whole complaint that, yeah. oh, this is digital only and it's uh, viable, I've only, only watched this digitally. And m- my concern lies on the fact that uh, uh, Limited Run Games, uh, the owner or the, the, the head of that came out and said that E3 was integral to them because E3 was the only place where they had a show floor and they were able to exactly. show off their stuff, make connections, yep. network. And now with Jeff Keighley saying... I think we're just going to be relegated to massive publishers and, and, and AAA games with maybe some stuff trickled in there if you make something that looks like Jeff Keighley in the game, right? I, that's the only way he'll <laughs> he'll uh, he'll talk about your game, I guess. It, it just feels like it just feels like a major loss for the industry. Uh, I think a lot of people will say, "Well, Jeff Keighley's thing will, will kind of just engulf it and replace it anyway." I still think that there's something special about E3 and, and the way they went about things, uh, and seeing Jeff Keighley just dance all over. Uh, the, its grave is actually kind of um, fucked up because we know the history there. He worked for E3, ESR, uh, the ESO, and the, he had ideas about the show. They were like, "Nah, I'm good." And I guess, I guess we could call him a disgruntled, disgruntled employee here. Uh, Marco, let, let, let's talk a little bit about Jeff Keighley here. Uh, what do we think about Jeff Keighley's uh, kind of just dancing all over E3's grave and then um, and then presenting to us? Basically, E3. Yeah, so for those of you who didn't see it, uh, on the Summer Game Fest uh, site, I think, they put the Summer Game Fest logo, the date, and below it it says, Video Game Summer isn't canceled. Dude, let me tell you something, man. Um, I don't like the kind of power this puts Jeff Keighley in. I'll be honest. I don't like his pettiness, and I don't like the power part, because now you kind of alluded to it. This makes Jeff kind of the tastemaker. You know, well, I don't want yep. that on my show. It's kind of going to be the thing now. And not everything that's cool and great about gaming has to be Jeff Keighley approved, you know? So, but hold on. Just a, just a little point on that. His last two taste making, th- his last two big gets, Saints Row. Yeah. And uh, Callisto Protocol. So, I mean. Well, I like Callisto Protocol, so. I did too, Thank but I mean, like, it wasn't like it was. It wasn't. It wasn't like it didn't change. Like video, you know what I mean? Well, they, yeah, they, yeah. And and here's the thing too, though. Like mo- moving forward, all right, Jeff, you want to dance on graves? You wanna you wanna turn this into a you thing? Great. Here's what I'll say to that: You better fucking deliver. 
if you come out with some whack ass event on June 8th and that game fest is full of trash announcement that you overhyped because you know he does it every year. Man, I just saw some of the stuff we're going to be showing this year. And guys, you're not going to believe. All right. I better not believe it. Because if I see some mid-ass <laughs> stuff that you reveal, like the way that he almost busted a nut on camera about Armored Core, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, it's cool that From Software is making an Armored Core game, but he my cried, God, bro. you could see his nipples poking through his shirt when he was talking about it, man. It's like, all right, you better come through. It better not be AdFest like it was in previous years. I better not see some weird influencer nobody knows about hogging up all the attention. All right. Like, you better come through. Because if you want all the attention, now the spotlight's on you. Guess what? Don't come with this bullshit stuff that you've been bringing in the past. I don't need to see the next fucking uh, live service game you're trying to champion like they did with the uh, the last time. They had some game that they debuted with that he busted a nut about, and it was like a glorified, you know, second life kind of game. It's like, okay, all right, dude, floor is yours, but don't don't drop this bullshit like you have in years past or else we're going to be looking at you funny and kind of missing E3 a little bit more. So I don't like his petty attitude about it. I don't like the little jabs. I think it's unnecessary. I don't like the internet's jabs about E3 either. I don't like how it's kind of turned into this little giddy little joke of, ha, E3's dead again, guys. Ha ha. Like, do, do you guys understand how important this is to gaming? Or are you guys yeah. just so kind of like up Jeff Keighley's ass because he had a couple of good events the last year or two? That you don't care and, anymore. Like what? What's going on here? And the and the, uh, the truth is, uh, you know, Jeff Kelly's events were filling holes and things uh, because they didn't have any three. Like I, 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 if it wasn't Jeff Kelly, it would have been somebody else. It doesn't really take a genius here to 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 to, to say, hey, we need something like E three when E three is not happening. Like it doesn't really take a genius to do that. He had the wherewithal to be first. He had the resources to to go further with it and i think all that is great i think you know i'm looking forward to jeff Kelly's presentation because i am looking forward to the announcement of new games and seeing games that i'm sure. excited for sure but i think that e3 as a whole going away like this and then just kind of just being bamboozled and being told by jeff that e3 didn't evolve and then what you're going to do is e3 in almost the same way, mm. you know, because he also has a play days where he has pup, he has people come over, come to this location and play games that they, they were showing on the show and whatnot and make connections and networking that way, which is not much different from E3. You know, it, it's just it's just very weird how how much Jeff has been on record saying very publicly saying that they didn't listen to him. They didn't. Yeah, that's just bitter X syndrome and, right there, dude. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then. And when and when and you're showing me is like oh so like E3 yeah I basically. mean yeah it's it's yeah. basically the G3 the Jeff Keighley Expo yeah, <laughs> it's it's so annoying dude it's like it, the for- go yeah. ahead go ahead man uh, the formula is what the formula is it's not really gonna change the digital forefront sure we're gonna focus more on that sure but like I said me and Marco the only way we ever experienced. Uh, E3 was digitally, mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't change for us. It doesn't matter where uh, Xbox is going to announce their new games and what uh, you know in what arena or or what uh, venue. It doesn't matter for us. So yeah. the fact that not only is he dancing on the grave of E3, but he's making it seem like he's revolutionized something is super weird. That's what I was going to say. It's like it's not like yeah. E3 was this nefarious thing that was like plaguing the industry, and he's just freeing no. us from its clutches. Like. It was a good thing. You know, it might not have been perfect for some years. It might have had some down years, but E3 was never counterintuitive for the business. It was never it never worked against the industry. 
It never did that. No, so, to, four, so to sit here and, and, and put on this like parade, so to speak, of like happiness because it's gone because you didn't get your vision fully realized in it years ago. It's just it's it's making him in the business up for himself, essentially. And I don't like the amount of power right. and clout this is all handing him on a silver platter because that, like I said before, that makes him into a bigger tastemaker than he really ought to be. This guy never comes around. He's barely, he's barely around about two times a year. You see him on, on screen. The rest of the time he's just tweeting shit and hinting at what's to yeah. come. Like he's not as present in the industry's ins and outs as, as he makes himself seem, you know, he's like a Carson Daly to me. So it's like giving yeah. Carson Daly control of Fox or the NBC or ABC. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. But that's how it feels no. like in, in gaming translation. Yeah. So Now, here's the thing. We talk about pettiness. You know his friendship with Kojima. I wonder what's going to happen with Konami because Konami was all full steam ahead with announcing games at E3. And we know that they got some bangers supposedly coming. Yeah. With Castlevania MGS3 remake coming, so Oops, I wonder yeah. if if I wonder if uh, Jeff's gonna good side, you know huh? well. break out of break out of his, and that's another thing. That, that's exactly my point is. So if you don't get on Jeff Keighley's good side mm-hmm. because he's the one, the entity, the the one that makes the choice, is he not really not gonna make you like like if like if um Gears like the coalition head of coalition said fuck Jeff Keighley would. Gear six not be in the Keeley yeah. uh, awards and in the that I hope not and, and people would say well he's a professional he wouldn't yeah he took sides uh, he took sides uh, and definitely went with Kojima over Konami regardless of how you feel about yeah. that and this is a person about the industry he definitely took sides so we'll see there yeah well uh, I know what side you're on when it comes to this story Pablo I'm giving I'm giving this one all to you I got nothing on this but I, I I'm I'm ready for your little rant. But Pablo, just in case the people don't know, the winner of, ironically, Jeff Keighley's VGA Award uh, for Best Fighting Game, Multiverses, had apparently forgot to tell people that their fighting game would only be an open beta for nine months before completely shutting down. Uh, it is safe to assume that this year that this was never the plan for them, uh, but here we are anyway this year, and worse yet... Uh, the people who spent money on battle passes and early access will not receive refunds and can't really play the game again until it relaunches sometime in 2024. Pablo, I want to give you the floor here. You had the epic 29-minute, six-second rant about Multiverse when it first dropped. What are your thoughts on it dropping out? Uh, and, and do you think the chances of this game relaunching in 2024 are legit? No, this is a very, very fucked up and long gaslight uh, of them canceling this game and just kind of telling people, don't worry. The reason we're not giving you a refund is because the game isn't dead. We're just going to go ahead and, 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 and mess around with it and fully release it next year. Listen, I've never seen a game, a fighting game, or any game that relies on player input for balancing to get off of op- open beta. How are you going to balance the game in that way? How are you going to be able to see how those changes work and don't work in a timely manner? That's what betas are for. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that they just completely are taking it offline out of seemingly out of nowhere, and it, it's it's ridiculous. And this is not this isn't a small little rinky dink studio. This is WB backing this, publishing this game. The fact that they're unable or unwilling to shell out money and get hey. Uh, this 
let's give people these money, this money back because the, people were spending money like that game was going to stick around for a while. You know, yep. one thing is like, hey, uh, sorry, like Rumbleverse, we're gonna go ahead and cancel and give you some money back if you pay, if you paid this money from this time from this time, you'll get this amount back. Like any of that, in order for them to avoid that, what they did is they're just gaslighting the fuck out of the entire community and saying, guys, don't worry, we're taking it back. We're bringing it back a little later. That's not good. That's not happening. The chances of this happening, I think, are close to zero. zero. And I think if it does come back, it'll come back in some form of fully fledged, not no longer game as service. Pay us sixty dollars for it. This is like the our 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 definitive version, our Smash Brothers equivalent. This game started off hot because people always want that Smash Killer. They want that next fighting game, and it doesn't matter. It always happens with all these little shitty games that that come out. They they get hot for a while because this is better than this because it, that's just the way that, that that those fighting communities work, and then. It fell off. It was like a ninety-nine percent fall of player. It was is an absolute embarrassment to all of these games as service that that come out and 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 really just gives it gives it a bad name. Roller, roller, was it roller? What's oh, the man, they're Ubisoft all one? together in my mind now. That motherfucker. That game is still alive. Nobody plays that shit. What is? What are they doing over there at Multiverses? Uh, it, it just it, for me, this is just like it's a huge, huge, huge blow to the whole community. It's hilariously bad, and I it's this game won Game of the Year for be, uh, uh, best fighting game. Like, and they're taking it off because it's not something about it is not right. It, that that just shows you hype doesn't mean shit. It's all about longevity with these games as service. And honestly, games as service are in a, in a position right now where you have to keep people invested. And if your whole entire community fell the fuck off, yeah, there's something wrong with the game. I would say, I would say that. And you know what? You know what's wrong with the game? It exists. <laughs> That's what's wrong with the game. I was waiting for that. Get, get the shit out of here. That game played like ass, looked like ass. There's nothing about it. It was good. Ever it didn't get worse. It was just always bad, and people realize that. And um, I'm not glad that it's gone because a lot of people spent money mm. on that. Uh, but I am glad that I was proven right <laughs> that this game was trash city, and oh. think and it's just shown that the people behind it are also trash people yeah. for not doing what's right. Yeah, I mean that's all it is. Yeah, I mean here's the thing. I think oh, it's a weird taste in my mouth. Damn. I think it was. I think it might have been. Boo! I'll put it in. Uh, but here's the thing. Thank you very much. I, I would like the um, breakdown of how'd you get booty juice inside your mouth? Because <laughs> you taste. Listen, don't yuck my yum. All right, so here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, my, my only theory, Pablo, and this is a reach. I know this. Uh, you can poke holes okay, in this easy. Yeah. Is I think sure, they're sure. going to try to move this away from being a live service game and go with a Smash right. Brothers model. I think that's what yeah. they're doing here. I think they're going to go with that model because the stigma of live service games is so toxic right now. It's 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 too messy to get in that space anymore. So I think they're probably going to relaunch with with a bunch of characters and have a plan just like Smash Brothers and just go straight full blown. Let's just copy that formula full stop and get rid of anything that is nefarious. And maybe they'll try to throw in some kind of incentive for like legacy players as like some kind of like, thank you for, you know, blowing your money on us a year and a half well, ago. It, 
So, if their approach is to make this like Smash Brothers and take away all the game that service things to it, what they would have to do is start over. Your game does not play, it's not good, it doesn't play Smash Bros. it doesn't have the same kind of polish, it doesn't have the same kind of, uh, you know, that very dope-ass thing that Smash has with, with, with each of the characters, that they are good to play and fun <laughs> to Don't to put handle. reverb on it, your, 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 your screaming fits. No, right? no, it's just, it's ridiculous. What have you seen? Just when have you heard of a game as service like think, think of it like this Fortnite tomorrow goes thanks guys for playing the beta we'll see you next year when the game fully launches like what the fuck nobody's gonna buy that shit yeah it's a trust like, thing at that point at that, at that point why would you come out hey guys we're back this is kind of like the game we wanted to do pay us money cause they're gonna ask for money they they're, are. there's no way they're gonna they ain't coming back out free and, I know that yeah that's for sure if it comes back at, at all. Yeah. So I would say ultimately this game is either DOA when it comes out uh, in its in its next form in 2024, or it's a slow, uh, maybe uh, WB is uh, taking out loans to pay back uh, people. Uh, LeBron ain't cheap, man. What a, LeBron is not cheap. I'm saying, bro. Yeah. All right, but that's all, that's all I got there. So let's go ahead and move on to the main uh, event of the show, and that's the Checkpoint Chat, which starts... Right now. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. Marco, in honor of April Fools, uh, we talked about a few <laughs> We talked about a few fools already this episode with Jeff Keighley and the people behind Multiverses, but let's talk about how we've gotten fooled yeah. by certain games. Marco, explain to us exactly what Checkpoint Chat is about today uh, to the lovely people here. Yeah, man. So since uh, we're, we're dropping around April Fool's Day, we decided that we would each pick five games in our gaming history that we bought because we were 100% sure those games would be great. But they fooled us in gloriously embarrassing fashion. Shame, shame, shame. So that's what we got shame, going shame. on. We're going to go round robin. We each picked five games we thought were the just a shoe-in, a shoe-in. And, 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 they, and they smelled like shoe in the end. Yeah. Yeah, also weird, but in <laughs> just to say, shame on us for ever thinking that these, these games were gonna were gonna be great. Just because no game is guaranteed that for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you want to start? Yeah, I got one, man. I got one. I'm gonna start with a game that a lot of people may have forgotten uh, from from our friends at Ninja Theory called Heavenly Sword. Uh, this was a PS3 game that was basically being set up to be almost like Goddess of War. It was, you know, the the, uh, yeah. the action slasher game, uh, very stylish. It was using a lot of, like, real actors. Uh, Andy Serkis was, was uh, you know, the lead villain in the game. Uh, the, the lead character, she looked awesome, really cool-looking combat. It, it looked good in trailers. It just, man, it seemed like it this, is a, this is a W for PlayStation 3. This is, this is what PlayStation 3 is going to be about. And it ended up being not only a horrible game, but it, it, it kind of... It kind of signifies what the PlayStation era was for me. It, uh, just like, just a complete letdown. Every time you think you got a banger, it ends up fizzling out or just turns into a, a big old pile of nothing. And this game yeah. was a it, short, hollow, uninteresting, and bland nothing of an action game. And a little tidbit there is that the main uh, actress behind uh, the the lead protagonist of that game was Anna Torv, who was uh, Tess, Tess yeah. in The Last of Us. Yep. Yeah, 
So that's an interesting little tidbit yeah. there. I always thought that uh, Hell, uh, um, was it Hellblade was a sequel to Heavenly Sword. Mm. Same company, game called Heavenly Sword, and the next game is called yeah, yeah, Hellblade. I just thought that was the case, and the, and it, I, you're right, Mark. Mark, let me ask you a question real quick. Why would why did it had it anything to do? Probably not because they were new with the fact that Ninja Theory was making this game because Ninja Theory, like two years later, made Enslaved Odyssey to the West, which is an absolutely fucking amazing yeah, it game. Was. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think that they were trying to make this like mascot worthy game. I think they were trying to make their their yeah. their, their, yeah, their Kratos. Yeah. Their I think they wanted to be acquired. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, and I, there's no proof for that. I'm just throwing shit at the wall here. But I I feel like that that was the game they wanted to make to say we could be a great first party studio for PlayStation someday. Right on. And then when they yeah, yeah. ate their ass in front of everybody and and didn't deliver, I think that just kind of set them on the path of, okay, we're just going to kind of remain independent until something yeah. gives. And, you know, later on they were able to get, you know, courted by Microsoft and the rest is history. So it worked out for them in the end. But I think, I, I really feel like right. that's what they were trying to do there. Um, and it just blew up in their face in, in, in yeah, such yeah, yeah. a disappointing fashion. And I was so bummed because, man, like I said, it looked so dope in trailer form, man. It was like five hours, yeah, right? Yeah, it was oh, short. Mess. It was weird. It was like, oh, this is kind of not fun at all, too. And the story was just, it, you could tell, like, they didn't really care so much about the writing at that point. Like, they got better with that, with the uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. their future games. But they were so fixated on, like, mo- like facial capture technology that they yeah, were leaning into that. You could tell that. the tech. Yeah, it was like, okay, that's all you're really trying to do here at, at that point, is just so to I impress guess- me with tech, and that's not enough. So, yeah. PlayStation has a history of that. PlayStation 2, they did it with, uh, what's that shooter? Killzone? Killzone. Yeah. Uh, three, they did it with this, and then four, they did it with uh, The Order. 1886. Well, I mean, you know, uh, great game though. In terms of no, in terms of in terms of like uh, focusing on the tech. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, like I making you, yeah, 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 that's what that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my game, uh, my number five game is Bio Mutant. Uh, it's a game uh, five years in the making. Conceptually, it looked really good. I was on this early, early, you early. Design wise, the game looked awesome. Yep. Yeah, combat showcased really well. Des was saying all the right things. Backed by THQ Nordic, which was currently trying to put the THQ name back on there, and so it's like you know they're really pushing this. Uh, the game's director, uh, I think it was Stefan Linguist, was involved with games like Just Cause and the criminally underrated Mad Max game. So he had that. He had a lot there going for it, and so Biomune. Delayed quite a bit. In my head, I'm like, they're just trying to make this perfect. This game comes out, and um, it just it, it just wasn't that. It turned out to be a complete mess. All the open world ideas in the world in one, conceptually, it, it just it executed incorrectly. Repetitive as all hell. Uninteresting enemy types. And Dark Souls-inspired combat that turned out to be shallow and lackluster in just about every single way. I think that the character design stuff is, is still cool. Uh, but man, this game could have been something really cool and special. And they refined the combat, stripped it down to bare bones. And this game could have been awesome, man. Because it just just the, the concept of it is super dope. Basically, you're this little mouse 
mouse rat thing and 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 everything is you're the size of a mouse and everything in, in terms of sizing is all over the place so it, mm-hmm. it it makes a really cool level design and they just couldn't do it man i and i would agree was it pablo why would you be so confident in a game that was my question and i don't know why it's just it, it's just because of the fact that they said all the right the things. concept the was game cool looked awesome the concept was yeah cool, the man. concept was so awesome and so with indie games being at a all-time high at that moment and these games coming out and this being somewhere in the middle where as gamers that double a game doesn't exist much anymore and they've kind of missed and they kind of pushed it thq nordic kind of pushed themselves as the double a game studio like we're not triple a we're not we're not indie but right in the middle we're trying to make the best games possible in that zone i kind of missed that and i just thought this was going to be the game to bring that back it just didn't there's just certain games i think this is probably the only game on my list that i think i look at i'm like damn i really shouldn't have been confident about Mm -hmm. that but uh but yeah what do you got next yeah well let me real quick let me say i think the problem with biomutant and you kind of alluded to right. it is that it was trying to be a lot of things for what that studio could actually genuinely yeah. handle I, I i forget their their number but i think they were like around 20 people or something like yeah like 20 crazy like that, that yeah. and they, they wanted such a big ambitious game that checked all these different boxes and i think they just the game's concept and scope got too big for them to handle. And I think you felt that yeah. when you played through everything because everything just felt half cooked. It's like, damn, you know, yeah. this needed, this needed like 40, 50 more people and another two years and it would have been great. Yeah. And now you've, now you've kind of blown it and this game has no equity now and it's, that's a one and done. So yeah. that's just the lesson. If you're a smaller studio, I get that that's a cool little bullet. Like, oh, wow, only such and such amount of people made the game. But you still have to make what you can handle. And I think that they missed the mark on that for sure. I think the issue, too, was I think their publisher, THQ Nordic, was just throwing That's a problem, too. I think, yeah. yeah. They had all this money and all this uh, ability to do things that they never asked themselves that maybe they should have done Yeah, what's realistic for us, yeah. That, yeah. that wasn't it but yeah. uh here's a game that did have a pretty big budget here's a game that had a lot of developers from what i understand because it came from rockstar pablo i'm talking about la noir um now this is a game uh, that this is a game you can tell what? by pablo's reaction he's gonna he's gonna be messy for this one i know it but it's a game a lot of people like a lot of people love um it, it is definitely different you can you cannot accuse this game of being mundane when it comes to rockstar's portfolio but i think that my problem with the game is that it felt mundane in execution. You know, like when you saw this game in trailer form, you're looking at, again, I don't know if it's a theme here between Heavenly Sword and this, but the facial technology and how expressive people were and how lifelike and realistic people animated when they talked. It's like, wow, this is really cool. I've never seen anything that looks this realistic before. Then you add on the noir setting, the time period that it's set in. You're like, oh, shit. This has got me written all over. I know it had your name written all over. This is this is uh-huh. this is Pablo Noir right here. But for me, when you play the game, you're hit with, oh wow, a lot of this is just window dressing. I can't really go into anything. I'm just kind of walking around the city. Kind of like mafia in a way, where it's like, wow, this yeah, yeah. looks really like <clears throat> just like it's time. I can't do any fucking thing here though. So this is not fun. And then you have the detective work, which I felt was really underwhelming. And then the interrogation stuff, which is where the facial stuff came into play, where they were like, well, you have to read their facial expressions to tell when they're lying or telling the truth. But and there's like memes about it on YouTube and everywhere where like their expressions are so overdone when they're lying. It's like, 
I wasn't there. It's okay. Yeah. So it, it took the fun and subtlety out of the formula and made it kind of like laughable to me. And so I guess, you know, when you think about Rockstar and, and kind of where they were at at that point in time, they're kind of cooking, you know, they've got GTA 4 out, they got GTA 5, and here comes L.A. Noir somewhere in the midst of all this. And it just becomes this like kind of sleepy detective story that yeah. leaned on a gimmick uh, with the facial stuff that just didn't work or was executed very well. Um, and it just, to me, it, it left me kind of feeling like I, I blew my money. Um, I'm not saying it's a terrible game. It's not, it's, it's probably, right, right. that's not what we're saying here. Either. It's not an offensively bad game. It's just, it was embarrassingly disappointing for me because I was sure like, oh shit, Rockstar doing a criminal noir game. Oh, this is going to well, be it. And it wasn't. I- I think that's where a lot of people kind of got caught up where they thought it was going to be a Grand Theft Auto meets Noir type thing. The truth is, is that Rockstar published it, but they didn't develop it. I mean, they helped, but Team Bondi is the one that, that yeah, did yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I, I know, no, I know you know, but I, I think we still had that expect, level of expectation because of polish and, and look, look at Max Payne 3. Rockstar, yeah. you know, uh, published that and helped develop it as well. And that game is amazing. I think we're, I think what I'm saying is we expected amazing. I, I, I love L.A. Noir. It's the only game that I can say that I loved, but I also fell asleep while playing. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's definitely sleepy. It's definitely um, it's definitely he's not really playing. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I, he's being honest. Like, genuinely, yeah, no, I fell asleep. Yeah. I, Fifteen minutes. I was my 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 character's face was doing all the faces while I was uh, taking a quick nap while I thought about the case. Uh, but you know the game also suffers from what I would call a terrible third act. Uh, where they, hey, look, spoiler, it, they kill your guy. Yeah. They kill your dude. They kill your man. Uh, and then you take over this other guy that you have no idea that you were supposed to like, but apparently you did. Um, but yeah, I I, 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 I like it. I think it, it, they did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I think that the technology at the time, though, was hilarious. At the time, it was super impressive. It was at the time, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was super impressive. And, and it had a lot of people from Mad Men. Uh, a lot of actors from Mad Men as well, yep. so that was funny. Just a little kind of aside there, but I wanted more of this, man. I, I did. I thought that this. I think that this game was one of those games where I, th- I thought a sequel was would have really been dope. Like fully implementing the open world that we know and love from Rockstar with this shit would have been amazing. Yeah. They had a game that was supposed to come out that was supposed to be that. It was like the Horror of the Orient, which was a crazy name <laughs> for a video game, but that was supposed to be that. It was it's supposed, but yeah. they never got to do it. Um, but yeah. I, I hope that one day we can uh, we can see Rockstar bring back uh, L.A. Noir in a way that uh, we feel that the game can actually because I, 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 I like like Marco said setting all that shit dope as fuck uh, this execution was it wasn't executed as 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 best as we thought it could have could have been for sure um, my next game on the list I, I went easy here yeah I, I think a lot of people had this uh, were fooled by this but I it's just a level. Of like holy shit, and that's Mass Effect Andromeda, the promise, the return to one of the greatest franchises of all time, completely detaching itself from the original trilogy, traveling six hundred years into another galaxy. For me, that was promising because it showed confidence that they were about to make a new trilogy of games, and you wouldn't have gotten away from Shepard unless you had a good idea, right? No, not a good. They, they didn't know uh, what the fuck they were doing. I, I think it, it, it's it has a 
it lacked extensive choices, and I think that's one of the main takeaways people had from it. I thought that was okay because they weren't trying to make the same mistakes they did with the original, where they had so many iterations that they couldn't have possibly done the ending yep. they wanted. That wasn't my problem with the game. I think the game itself was just bone dry, boring, uninspired, and lacked in just about every way. The 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 Alex twins, the the, oh, right. the, the world, twins, the, the Ryder twins, the, the, the Ryder twins, mm-hmm. yeah, Alex Ryder, and just those twins were just uh, lame. The, they're the, derpy. The characters they're just so they, derpy. Yeah, derpy. The characters in which they introduced were just kind of modif- modified versions of the original characters that we yep. knew. They're all they stripped away alien species. They 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 made the Citadel except worse. Uh, I, I a lot of stuff in that game just didn't work at all. It, it, it it's the world and the different worlds were just they were cool. They looked awesome, but ultimately there wasn't much to do in any of them. Um, it, it it just was a game that was. I think it was kind of riding on, on on the coattails of greatness and thought that people were going to just be like, yeah, yeah, more of the same. We love it. And no, I, you know, I this game didn't do anything to, to make the franchise better. It's not even better than the first or second or third game in any way, shape, or form. It ostensibly killed, ostensibly killed the franchise again. And that's finally being rebooted. I, I hopefully that they learn from this. But yeah, man, this was... This was crazy disappointing like playing this game was like oh yeah this looks awesome oh yeah this is great oh my god this is not good <laughs> and then eventually 10 hours in, be like oh my god this is horrible yeah man it was so stale yeah. dude it was stale the structure of that game was so bad too because it was like a like a fetch quest collect-a-thon kind of thing that's like right every yep. planet had was like a semi-open thing but the, the planets were so uninteresting and you just had to drive over do the most mundane thing then come back and then the story was just completely forgettable i, don't, I genuinely don't remember very much about it to be honest they they brought you to this whole other part of the of, of the universe and you know it's basically one one new race is all you got out of that. So everything else yeah. was the exact same as you, as you saw. Well, they took away and they took away old races too. Yeah, like like some the some of them didn't make it. Yeah, so it was just baffling. It was a real baffling game because it it was like the epitome of Bioware's like misplaced arrogance at the time. You know, like I feel yeah. like they were coming off the heels of Dragon Age Inquisition, and that game is pretty well documented for coming together at the very tail end. You know, and I yeah. felt like they thought they can do the same thing. I think they called it the Bioware magic internally with right, like, right. salvaging Andromeda, and they just ended up falling flat on their faces. And obviously, they didn't learn from it because Anthem came out after that and completely ruined the, the, the legacy they had. So it was just that was bad Bioware. At uh, I wouldn't say it's its peak bad Bioware, but it was Anthem is well that. on its way. Anthem is peak. Yeah, and you know, and Inquisition was really good, but it showed kind of like a little bit of things where like, okay, maybe yeah. this isn't the Bioware we love completely, and then that just kind of showed out as games went on. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I it agree. Yeah. Such a terrible experience. I'm with you. Uh, What's next for you? Yeah, my third game. Oh, man. Final Fantasy thirteen, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Oh, <sighs> God almighty. I forgot about that. Do I love Final Fantasy or what? I... Dude, I I love twelve. I don't care what anybody says. I love ten. I love I love all of them. Thirteen, man, looks good. The trailers are fire. It looks like it's such a spectacle. A new female protagonist for the first time ever in franchise history. Fuck yeah, and she looks dope. Pink hair, yeah. You know, killing people. Crystals all over the place for some reason. We didn't know why, but okay. 
The game comes out, and oh my god. It is, to this day, one of the biggest letdowns I've ever seen happen in a, in a storied franchise like a Final Fantasy. It's so bad. It's completely linear, which is, I mean, literally, like, go down this one narrow path, and you only, and, and sometimes you'll get a party of three. Like, it's usually, like, two people in a party, which is horrible. The characters all yep. sucked. Um, I felt like the, the story was confusing. There was a lot of falsy or this and the, the lussy or this. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't. Pulse. I couldn't, I didn't get it. The pulse, yeah. Crystals yeah. all over the fucking place. These like whiny characters, this emo guy with the, with the beanie on. Uh, the fucking, you know, how they represent black people in the game. They got a black guy with an afro uh, with a bird coming out of his head. Like it's so, everything was so goofy in that game and it's like what were you guys thinking and they weren't done they went on to make sequels to this pile of shit so not only you will like this not only was it bad from the first game on but they were like no we're sticking with this for the whole generation the whole thing we're gonna just keep running it back running it back and it's just like when is this going to fucking end like i was so worried that this game was so gloriously bad that it was going to ruin final fantasy's legacy forever and thankfully it didn't final fantasy's bouncing back now but fuck man i thought this game was going to be a surefire hit because of how cinematic and cool it looked but when you play that thing ugh, just from top to bottom uh, just a massive mistake on their part they were trying to evoke some 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 things here because you, know, you got cloud and then the main protagonist is called lightning, lightning and yeah <sighs> yeah man, it was yeah not good not a good time not good not good I, I I remember playing this game and thinking it was horrible but then I'm like but I don't I guess I'm not a Final Fantasy guy nope I, I, no like, it was just, bad again this wasn't a Final Fantasy that's the problem that that's probably what it was my uh the other game on my list is a game here called evolve turtle rock studios at the time you were being a team comprised of left for dead devs making a new uh asymmetrical first person multiplayer shooter was a huge deal because uh the, uh they weren't giving us no more left for deads you know so you know you look at the concept your team are hunters you take on a monster uh you know, all the things that made L4D awesome seem to be present with the new twist that you get to play as this monster. And it looked good. I, I even played the beta and thought it was it had some fun. I had some fun thinking, okay, there's some issues here, but they can iron this out. This is, again, the team from Left 4 Dead. They know what they're doing. Um, yeah, no, nah, man. This game comes out, and it just wasn't very interesting. It lacked balance. It wasn't fun to play as a monster, and it wasn't fun to play as a hunter. I this game really um really depended on you speaking to other players and even if you had a full group which i had a couple of times four players full on ready to go it still was not very good it just was all over the place it lacked the intensity of left for dead it lacked the gameplay mechanic polishedness of left for dead everything about this game just seemed like the left for dead devs actually didn't know what the hell they were doing at all and made a copy of a game and they just shat the bed in just about every possible way um it's just one of those things great in theory not in actuality i think that left for dead is unique in its own way i think we know that now with all the uh games that are like it that were to come out uh back for blood sucked uh it, it just it, it just left for dead i think was a game of its time and a game that really uh 
it de- delivered in 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 the thing in a multiplayer thing that we weren't really expecting. But for me at the time, I just thought Evolve was the next Evolve <laughs> Evolve state, the next uh, iteration of these game, kind of games. Yeah, and that game sucked. It was just bad every way, shape, form. I did not like it at all. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was ready to go. I thought it was ready to rock and roll when that game was going to come out. Yeah, the thing is, is I think this shows that Valve is really, really kind of the linchpin behind Turtle Rock's, like, quality work. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ever since they split and they don't work together like they used to, I mean, the results speak for themselves. I mean, it's just like, there's no one there to kind of rein them in and get them, like to make a polished game that actually makes yeah. sense to play. Like, I feel like Back for Blood just felt like it was trying to rip from the spirit of, of Left 4 Dead with none of the things under the hood that, that made that game special. And Evolve, to me, just felt lifeless. It's like, well, let's do that, but sci-fi. You know? It, it just feels like a very, like, elementary way of looking at things, almost. So it, it's yep. like they, they just... They, they they come up with like a weird idea that's based on an old idea, but they never know how to make the, the, the new thing as good as the old thing. And it just permeates through their work. It, it's, it's really sad because yep. I feel like they are talented, but they just need they need that valve like presence to kind of keep them in check or something because something's not working. So, yeah, or just do something else like take that talent and 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 do something completely make different a single player game to. or something like honestly. Yeah, what, what are you scared of? I just feel like they're, all they're trying to do is relive the glory days. Yeah, and they're just unable to 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 do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, Pablo, you're not the only person that has a Bioware game on your list. I got one as well, but this one's gonna piss a, a few people off. But I got I got Jade Empire on my list of games that had me fooled, Pablo. Coming off the heels of Knights of the Old Republic, one of my favorite games of all time, number four to be exact. Um, one of the most beloved RPGs in the history of, of, of Western RPGs. And now you're telling me you're going to take that same kind of energy and create your new IP. It's going to be, you know, the, the, the Shaolin style kind of story in this brand new world, martial arts, all kinds of new gameplay improvements, great rich storytelling like you're used to. Man, uh, how can this go wrong? There's no way. And somehow they figured out a way they did. And, and, and what they did was they created to me a very, uh, a very boring, very, very boring game that just fell asleep at the wheel constantly. It was just a never ending lull of boring, slow storytelling and all of the, like the big story beats that they know they can do. They just completely eliminated that entirely and just kept things very, very cold all throughout that game's story. Then you have the combat system, which at the time looked cool in gameplay videos when it was you know pre-release, but then you play it, and it just felt loose, it felt awkward, it felt weird. They were trying to do more real-time combat instead of KOTOR's uh, like turn-based kind of combat where you can sort of pause yeah. and pick your moves. So they were, they were trying to do more than I think what they knew how to handle at the time too. So the game was just destined to age poorly. Uh, and, and some people dispute it. I know like there's the ACGs of the world that swear by this game. And a lot of people, I mean, if you look at the, the Metacritic for this game, you're going to, you're going to shit. I think it's like in the high nineties or something like that. So <clears throat> this is not a, this is a controversial choice is what I'm saying. But I think personally this game is stale. It was 
boring. And I think it shows because it didn't, you know, it wasn't a big hit with the, with the community and we've never seen it since. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm too far off or else if it was that good, it'd still be around to this day. And it's not because it sucked. Yeah. I, I, I liked, I liked, uh, I liked it. I thought it was different. I thought it was, I, I, at the time, I remember liking the combat or at the least not minding it. Um, definitely wasn't in the same, you know, the same kind of vibe as, as, as Knights of the Republic or anything of that sort. I think that the biggest thing that this game did, or the worst thing this game actually happened, is that it got, it aged quick. I remember like going back a couple of years later and was like, whoo, visually and just like everything yeah. about the game just aged quickly. But um, yeah, I think I think like um, IGN gave this game like a, a famously a 9.8, almost a, a whole 10. But I, a lot of people were mistaking new and different with good and great. And I think that's <laughs> uh, something that we see a lot uh, back in the old days. Yeah. But now... Not so much no. uh, in terms of reviews. Yeah, my other uh, uh, my other game here is, and the reason I have it on here is because it's a game that I'm uh, documented on the show as as being a hater of. Uh, but to be honest with you, it's a game I was really looking forward to, and that's Horizon Zero Dawn. This is a game that when it was first announced, you know, Guerrilla Games decided to leave the meddling first-person shooter kill zone behind and get into the third-person open-world action-adventure game, which at the time, and still today, honestly, are super, super hot. And everything, I mean, everything they showed looked absolutely stunning. The world, the main character, the graph of fidelity was just absolutely jaw-dropping. And the thing that got me the most, the thing that I remember vividly seeing, and I'm like, holy shit, this is about to be one of the greatest games of all time, is literally weeks before it released, they showcased the conversation system, which caught everybody by surprise. Nobody knew that this game was going to have a conversation system, which is kind of hold, standing it uh, on its own when you compare it to the Uncharted's of the world and other third-person open-world games. This game also had that conversation system, and it's like, great, this is going to be... This is going to be Bioware-esque levels of amazing because it has all these things that I love about a RPG. And then the game releases. And this is the this is probably, I would say, for me, and I'm looking at my other game, yeah, it's probably the only game on here that I think still delivered on the visual stunning fidelity, the main character in terms of how she looks, and just the overall gameplay of it. But it's just, for me, not, not all those things came together in a way that... Uh, I love, and I'm not going to rehash here my hate for the game, but just know that the way I feel about the game is I feel like it's a game about nothing, it's super bland, and a great premise squandered away as told to you like a fucking penguin, penguin random house audiobook recording. Uh, <laughs> it just, all the story is told, like it's all word vomit. Anyway... Here, I just thought this game was going to... I wanted to be on record saying I thought this game was going to be absolutely fantastic because it had all these elements, and for me, it never came together. And it's a game that I find to be extremely overrated, though I respect it for some of the things that it does. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as people may know, I've kind of you know turned around on, on Forbidden West, the sequel, quite a bit. Uh, it's now become a, a huge favorite of mine, but I don't think it's done anything to recontextualize Zero Dawn for me either. I think it's still to me zero dawn was still a very mundane game for me um that felt like a very it everything about it felt like a first stab at an open world game you know right. it felt like this is oh yeah this is definitely their first try doing something like this it just it 
it, you couldn't get away from that feeling. Um, I think personally, they 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 got a wrangle on that for the sequel. Some people don't agree, but um, yeah, the first game to me, to your point, I just felt like it just didn't it didn't mesh well. Nothing about anything really came together all that well, and and uh, it just left me kind of unclear as to you know yeah. does this franchise really have it. Or does it not? You, you know, know, and, and it had all the you know. makings of what we like about RPGs, and it still didn't come together. That's the most disappointing thing about this series for me. And plus, she had a big old head when she was a kid, man. She had a big old head, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, listen, man. My uh, fifth and final game. You know, uh, I think this one should be pretty relatable. Halo Five Guardians. You know, the sad part is, Pablo. I could have picked a couple of different Halos. <laughs> I could have picked Halo Infinite. I I could have picked. I I could have picked a lot of stuff. But I I went with Guardians because this game was marketed very clearly to be one thing, and then the actual game was something totally different. So they, in the purest sense of the word, three four three, genuinely fooled people with this game. They made it seem like it was going to be Locke versus Chief, and this the hunt is going to, and Chief is going down, and it's, and it turned out to be nothing like that at all. And not only was it nothing like that at all, the game itself was a whole pile of nothing anyway. It was a three-hour campaign, maybe four if you're pushing things. Um, yeah, completely unnecessary squad-based gameplay. Um, you know, that never really answered the question, why would I order somebody to shoot that thing when I can just shoot them myself? You know, like there was no justification for even needing a squad at all. So it was a it was also a victim of its time when it came to Xbox trying to let's make everybody play together. Let's do let's let's really blow out the co-op experience here. And it just didn't it didn't need any of that. It needed chief. It didn't need a, a new protagonist. It didn't need any of that. Um the multiplayer to me, I think, was probably the most okay of the two. Um, but even then, I think that it still didn't feel like the sandbox like Halo experience. That, for as much as I hate Infinite uh, now, I do think that uh, at its core, Infinite's a better uh, multiplayer sandbox experience than Five was, where Five felt like it was still trying to be a little bit of that Call of Duty with a little bit of the halo and it didn't work at all. So man, um, this was really a trust breaking game for me because four was fine. I thought four was okay. The story was pretty good. Yeah. The multiplayer I didn't really love, but okay. First time making an original game, I'll, I'll give you benefit of the doubt, but five was just a complete flop in every sense of the word. And I thought, you know, okay, there now, now they've got it. And they sure as hell did not have it. So, yeah, I had to put it on here. Yeah, the, uh, 5 didn't make it because I, I actually enjoyed the multiplayer uh, part of it quite a bit. Not, not that uh, big, what was it called? It was called Warzone, yeah. He said um, It was a big oh, multiplayer. Oh, yeah, I, remember, I don't remember yeah, what yeah. that's called. It was, actually, it was actually called Warzone, yeah. It was? Um, huh. Yeah, it was. It was before Warzone, yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I I enjoyed it a lot. You know, I played quite a bit of it, more than even Infinite. So that's why I didn't make my list. But it could have easily made it just based on the fact that um, I, uh, you know, I, I hated that story with all my fucking heart. Um <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to move on to my number one here. And my number one is another, I think, easy one for Metal Gear Solid fans, and that's Metal Gear Solid 4. I could have easily said 5 here, but 4 was the one that really kind of... 
you know, really did it for me. This is it should have been easy. This is a combination of Solid Snake uh, plus the expectation that Kojima would take all the great things about MGS2 and MGS3 and put them together in terms of like gameplay. You know, making uh, a a a, a presumptuous masterpiece of a game, a game that was uh, gonna put all those pieces together where we would uh, see the culmination of a story threads long left untold and what we got was pure fucking sabotage complete nonsense in some instances literally shitted on character development not fun <laughs> not to play <laughs> in fact <laughs> and not fun to play in fact at times you couldn't play it uh, a tonal nightmare an absolute nightmare when it came to telling that story in any way that was in any way shape or form that would have been seen as serious or even even the funny stuff about the game isn't very funny by the time you got to the end you just wish snake stayed in that microwave tunnel and, and, and burned to a crisp <laughs> It, 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 for me, it's just one of those things where it, 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 it was either it was either that it was either sabotage or really Konami not really Kojima in and him having all these ideas that just simply did not work in unison and that was usually kind of his thing like he had all these ideas that usually came together really nicely um, you know ideas outlandish even uh but ultimately worked out good this wasn't the case man everything about this game just felt like and another thing and this happens and this could happen and it just it it just it was a game that should have been an absolute incredible seminal moment in that series turned out to be just a fucking shit show and the and, and the series has honestly not not recovered uh, uh since then you know i mean mgs5 i'm a huge fan of i i like it but it's when i say i could have put it in here is because it wasn't metal gear solid for me like it just wasn't felt like the that experience that i wanted uh and it, this should have been this easy this game is a reason uh, I ended up buying the PS3. Uh, you know, I bought it late, but this was the game I, I first played. Like this was it. This was what mm-hmm. I wanted, and I, I just, I just, I, the choices he made to start there uh, with Solid Snake and, and and just how he executed all those things. Ah, this was when you saw the little bit of the, you saw that he wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't infallible. Like Kojima. Kojima be on some bullshit, and he was on some bullshit in Metal Gear Solid Four. Listen, Kojima is a hoe. I've been saying it forever, man. Kojima was a hoe. Listen, let me tell you what happened, right? If Konami was was Kojima's pimp, and Konami said, "Why don't you just keep on making Metal Gears? That's what you do." And the hoe got frustrated. I want to do more. I don't want to just be out here making Metal Gears. I'm more than that. No. Make more Metal Gears. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fuck this game up. I'm going to make Snake old. I'm going to make him want to blow his brains out. I'm going to retcon a bunch of shit that makes no sense story-wise in the game. I'm going to put some dumb, weird four beasts bosses that are just going to be, you know, fat fuel for the internet. Um, I'm going to have Meryl marry a guy with diarrhea. I'm going to have a guy... But he's cute! I'm going to have a guy, uh, you know, sell weapons to Snake and have a monkey that drinks soda and burps during serious plot moments of the game. Um, I mean, I'm going to bring Big Boss back. And I'm going to kill him in about five minutes afterwards. That's what I'm going to do. It just felt like a petty fuck you to, you know, everybody at Konami that wanted him to stay with the series when he wanted to get away from the series. 
and it sucks because it's like you know we we didn't get and he gave him that dumbass mustache all of that with the dumbass mustache man and the gravelly chewing on fucking mulch sounding snake man he's hacking he's got to shoot himself up with needles he's crawling on the floor it was so fucking miserable to play that game i think a lot of the people that love that game is it's most likely because it was their first entry point into the series yeah. and so it has a special place in their heart but <clears throat> compared to the rest of that series this game is a complete categorical disaster uh and it's it's nowhere near anywhere on my top favorite games of all time list it's it's not even knocking on the door it ain't in the it ain't in the neighborhood um yeah yeah it's just it's just out and out embarrassing and it's a shame that it it turned into what it was because it could have been so great man but yeah and then like it's like kind of you start thinking about kojima's like where are you man like ideas wise because he was like out on revengeance he helped but he wasn't really about Mm -hmm. it and that turned out to be so so much an incredible game comparatively speaking uh but yeah man it's it's just one of those things hose or hose snakes up hose down um a a i got nothing else that's all i got uh, but I think that is uh, that is our list of games that fooled us. What are some of the games that fooled all of you? Uh, think about it. Talk about it amongst yourselves. We don't want to know. Uh, but no, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, <laughs> until next time. Keep that shit to yourself. Yeah, we want to know. Uh, give our podcast a sub if you haven't already and if you enjoyed this. And don't forget to follow us on IG, Twitter, and Hive. It's cool down time uh, to keep us in your FOV in between episodes. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. One, two. Make me feel good.